Hi all, I'm Cullen Haynes and welcome to Law Live. Welcome to episode four and I have a very special treat for you all today. I've got a powerhouse uh, partner and principal I'm about to bring to the stage, Hannah Griffiths, an absolute um, leading lady of law and probably one of the most personable people I've met in law and an absolute BD machine. No one has a network bigger than this person. Here she is, Hannah Griffiths. Great to see you and thanks for joining Law Live. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Cullen. My pleasure, absolutely. And I will say at the start, because I always do forget, please, if you've got any questions, drop them in the comments, drop them in there because we want to be able to address them live and in person. So I guess to start, what has been happening, Hannah, in your circle of influence? What's been going on? Look, um, there's been a lot of activity. My space is restructuring and insolvency, and there's been a, an increased amount of activity in that space. Um, certainly, there's been a greater level of inquiries and more litigation across Great. the market. So we've been quite busy. Oh my goodness! And uh, on on that note, is it are you busy because of the what I was talking about before? You're always out meeting people, coffees, face to face, belly to belly, or is it the referral work based on the great work you and your team do? Yeah, I would think the latter at the moment. We've done a lot of um, business development in the market and I certainly try and keep quite active within that space doing BD along the way. But um, at the moment, I've actually had to dial back a lot of that activity because we've generated so much incoming work that um, I'm also needed to assist the team in in actually delivering the work to keep up um, the quality of service that we're providing for our clients. I love I love that. And um, similar similar journey as well. Once you get the ball rolling on those things, it kind of flows. Uh, I always say people don't flow you unless they know you. And um, you're very much a person who wears your heart on your sleeve. What you get is what you put out to the world. And I think that's what people really like. And you're actually very good at what you do, probably um, number one in insolvency. And that can say that hand on heart but oh, talking you. about that you're a very busy person in your personal life you've got a, a kids family how do you balance work life and building a practice as you're doing yeah look it's it's a constant challenge and a constant juggling act um i'd like to think that i'm giving it a red hot go and trying to do it all but sometimes um also not cutting the mustard on one of those things whether it be life family or legal practice at any given point in time um yes it's it's um, pretty hard as a lawyer to always be a self-inflicted hard taskmaster, you know, but it takes um, some discipline to be kind to yourself and recognise that everyone also has a lot going on in their own lives. Um, so I try and um, remain professional, kind and courteous um, and maintain good communication with people that I'm having to work with or um, have I have family commitments um, with. So that in my view, will always place you in good stead. The rest of it's a bit of a trial and error with juggling priorities as you go along. Absolutely. And what would you say is to someone who says, um, you know, I'm wanting to, to make that partner step, I want to make that principle, do I need to sacrifice the family time? Do I need to sacrifice um, all these other things to get there? Is it, is it really a dog-eat-dog -dog race as many claim that it is? Yeah, look, I think it does have its challenges, particularly for women who are trying to um, have a care, um, give a role, uh, raising children. And, and still, even though men are taking a more active role in raising children these days with in, improved um, parental leave and the like, um, it still does largely fall on women. Um, I think um, work environments are 
particularly in the law, are getting a lot better at accommodating uh, women with caring responsibilities. And, I mean, at our firm, as an example, uh, we promoted a special counsel to partner um, in the last uh, partnership promotions um, while she was pregnant and about to go on to maternity leave. So, I mean, at our firm, we don't see it as a barrier. You don't have to choose between the two. Excellence will be rewarded uh, with promotion. Uh, but certainly it is a real um, a real challenge uh, for many women in particular in trying to um, climb the, scale, the, the ladder. I love what you're I mean, by what you're saying about um, it's based on merit um, and it's a meritocracy. You put it, the work in, you'll be um, awarded that and you'll be given those dispensations. I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah. I think we need to talk about that more. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think a lot of people, um, particularly a lot of women, think that they have to make a choice between one um, sort of hat that they prefer to wear over the other, but I don't think it needs to be a choice. Um, I think you can do it all. Um, you just have to be a little bit more disciplined and perhaps a little bit more organised than the average bear in order to <laughs> make that a reality. Um, otherwise, it can become a challenge. Um, and also, um, you know, at the end of the day, the reason why you get uh, progressed and promoted um, in certainly in any law firm is based on you accumulating sufficient experience um, and also skill in order to um, be elevated um, within a law firm. Um, so if you, you know, if you are spending a lot of time away from the workplace and not at work because of other priorities, whether it be your extracurricular pursuits in, in mountaineering or whether it be because you're caring <laughs> for a child, um, you need to make sure that uh, your workplace um, is aware of where your priorities sit and whether you're dedicated and willing to commit the time and energy to develop that level of skill and experience so it can be rewarded accordingly. Mm. Very, very good. And we've got two um, people commenting. Hannah, Anna Sacconi says hi. And Mina Abel Sayed, a regular on the show, says hello as well. So we've got some people tuning in. And please drop in your questions. Keep them evergreen. And if you've got anything insolvency related that you think Hannah can um, talk to, send her a cheeky DM and she'll get right <laughs> back to you after the stream. Um, I guess switching gears or, or along the same path of what we are talking about, um, I read a great book. Uh, a few years ago, and I should dig it out again. It's Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Um, mm. I didn't realise it was a book uh, for more females than for males, but it talks about having a seat at the table, especially if you're one that um, doesn't speak up and you find that the, I guess, the um, the establishment, as it were, set in place is crowding out certain people, certain groups, certain voices. What would you say about, I guess, having a seat at the table, especially where you find yourself today very much at the table, influencing um, what would you say to people saying, I, I want to, you know, take that next step. I want to have a seat at the table. I want to be heard and I want to make myself known. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think sometimes the seat at the table is provided for you by your position within an organisation um, or otherwise, um, you know, you've received the, the tap on the shoulder because you've been um, recognised. But other times you actually need to create the seat at the table by being Ooh. influential mm. yourself in the market um, and that creates a level of momentum of others around you um, noticing that you have a following and desire desiring for you to be a part um, of um, their own organisation. So, I mean, I'm quite lucky to be working at a firm where there's quite a diverse range of backgrounds and experiences, a whole range of... <laughs> ages of the partners and cultural backgrounds um, and who are all welcome to contribute to the growth and success yes. of the firm. Um, but I certainly think that um, uh, 
people, uh, and this is a generational thing as well, um, I believe, that um, many of the younger generation coming up now are waiting for um, to be provided with everything laid out on a platter rather than necessarily um, uh, identifying that they need to uh, work towards obtaining that seat at the table or creating the seat by being influential themselves in the market. So it is an irresistible proposition um, for the organisation that you work for. No, I, I, I concur with what you're saying there, Hannah, and it does uh, provide an interesting, I guess, commentary on what's happening in the market, especially with graduates and those entering into the market. There's a lot of sign-on bonuses being thrown around, people being paid six figures as a graduate. Um, do you think that's necessary? Are we breeding or um, producing or encouraging people to shoot for the moon even though they're not there yet in experience-wise? And are we just creating a monster by giving everyone what they want early on and just having it laid out to them. I don't know if that's a millennial thing. I can shout out I'm a millennial. I don't know if that's something um, that we're providing a problem for. Yeah, I, I think that there is certainly um, some real challenges in terms of recruitment and retention um, and the graduates are being afforded um, a lot of luxuries that perhaps earlier <laughs> generations <laughs> have not no! experienced themselves. But that in itself needs to be played very carefully by millennials or graduates now because they are very fortunate to be provided um, with such a step up into in terms of entry into the profession. Um, they're protected also by a lot of um, structure around how many hours they're permitted to work and, and constraints around that, which, I mean, this is all for the good of everyone. Um, of so course. I'm certainly not advocating for people to be working longer hours um, to their own disservice. But the point is, is that there are many generations ahead um, of those millennials who have had to really do the grind in the law. Yes, to yes. And climb and uh, prove themselves. And so um, there is definitely a level of emotional um, or EQ that's required um, of these millennials to say, well, I'm grateful for what I have. I have so much to learn um, and to be humble around um, the acquisition of that knowledge rather than um, be entitled, I think. So it's an EQ lesson I think that they probably need to um, master. Mm. How do they get this EQ, this magical EQ that um, you have, there Hannah but it's not really inherent in many lawyers it's like taught the technicalities but business acumen negotiation and that EQ element how does mm. someone get that if they're not na they're naturally an introvert look I think a lot of that comes down to men mentoring um, and and adequately identifying a mentor within the organization that these young millennials or graduates are working for and also outside the organisations. Yes. They've got an external point of view. There's so many great organisations that are running uh, formal and informal mentoring programs that, um, you know, these millennials can grab onto. Most firms are running a, a form of process inside their organisation but you know the Law Society runs a great program um, in, in my space um, the Women's Insolvency Network Australia which is open to both men and women uh, to be members. Shout out to them. Yeah shout out to them have a great mentoring <laughs> program as well um, and I mean I think um, also if anyone's ever looking for a mentor um, you know it only 
requires a few basic inquiries, even on LinkedIn, um, to people that are senior in the market, uh, and many of them will gladly take on a mentee to assist them in their career and help them along their way. So I think that's really probably the most important aspect to gaining that EQ um, that enables these young millennials to learn learn some wisdom from those that have gone before them and some of those lessons they might not need to learn because they hear it from someone who's been there, done that. Seen a lot of things, absolutely. Learn from those who have made the mistakes rather than having to make them. Make all new ones, not the old ones. That's correct, yeah. Now, this is um, something we often chuckle about and it happens in um, finance as well. There's uh, real professionals that add tremendous value like yourself and then there's pretenders that because they're in with certain um, media organisations or they get a lot of um, airtime, there's this perceived notion that they're the best. I'd love to talk about the real versus the pretenders and um, your experience in that in law. Yeah, certainly. Like um, in in my space, insolvency and restructuring, it's quite a small um, niche part of the market. Um, and so for that reason, um, it's a rather... Um, uh, insular but not exclusive um, circle um, of professionals um, and many people um, know each other they, they regularly oppose each other they regularly um, work for the same people or same clients um, and so you certainly gain a level of familiarity with the people that play in your um, market space quite frequently and it's probably relatively unique compared to the broader profession um, but it may well be the same in certain niche parts of the professions in other areas. Um, so it's quite interesting when there are new players that emerge in the market and try and gain um, that credibility in the market by um, certain styles of marketing. Uh, that's usually um, um, publishing um, types of articles in various uh, publications, you know, like the Lawyers Weekly and the like, um, trying to gain the airtime about their thought leadership in the space, but perhaps not necessarily having much time committed to getting to know people in in the market themselves. Um, I think because it's such a small niche market, a lot of people talk um, and so you get a lot of, oh, who's this person or who's that person? And because a lot of the people in the market are quite established, um, it's very quick to figure out who's who's the real, who are the real players and who are the pretenders. Um, yes. And, and so, yeah, it's quite interesting. A lot of, in one of the common things that is said in the insolvency market is, oh, I'm an insolvency lawyer. It's like, oh, okay, like what sort of insolvency law do you practice? And, you know, um, and whilst one small section of insolvency law is, run, one, you know, running wind-up applications or um, presenting bankruptcy petitions, there's a whole larger section of insolvency law that involves a whole lot of other things like contentious litigation involving, you know, avoidable transactions or public examinations and the like. And so some, some people will say, oh, I'm an insolvency lawyer, but really they might be more accurately described as a debt recovery lawyer. There's no issue with that except that it can be a bit misleading in the market in terms of someone's exp expertise and experience. Um, and so I'm all about just being upfront about what you actually deliver and can deliver rather than 
um, you know, the puffery that might go alongside <laughs> <laughs> some, some individuals' descriptions about what their practices look like or indeed what, um, yeah, what sort of services they provide to clients. Yeah, it's a good point. I've got a few barristers that are farmers and they say there's a term, it's a big hat, no cattle when you're presenting that facade and there's no substance to it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm indeed by what you're saying there as well. And our awards, um, and shout out to Will McGee and Jerome from the Lawyers Weekly, but our awards like that helping or hindering um, lawyers that are up and coming or fostering those pretenders that uh, maybe no, don't have um, the experience or the backing behind them? Yeah, look, I find this a great debate, the old awards debate. Um, you know, some of the most <laughs> some of the most proficient practitioners I have the pleasure of working with or opposing often have such long CVs detailing innumerable cases where they've successfully won contentious arguments in court or successfully yes. negotiated outcomes for their very satisfied clients. But I think the awards metrics have its place and I've certainly been a finalist in a few awards over the years but to me it's relatively unclear how the judging panel reached the outcomes on these awards and what reflects a winner of a category in any given year. Um, certainly whilst I'm sure many of the candidates are worthy recipients the broader profession doesn't really have an understanding of what made these finalists so or, or the winners, that is, are so deserving of winning the category. Um, and so in my view, there are, you know, many very talented and capable lawyers who've never been shortlisted or even a winner of these awards. So I'm not sure whether they're a true measure of the skill and talent in the profession um, until such a point in time is there's some greater transparency around the selection process by the judging panels. Um, and certainly along the same line as the awards, these lists of lawyers, you know, um, Doyles and Australasian lawyers, etc., all of which require self-nomination um, by other lawyers who already sit on the lists, also seem to not have any quantitative data backing up why they're on the list to start with. So I think they suffer a similar vice in that respect. Mm, it, it, is, it is an interesting phenomenon, I must say. But I, I know, and I've said this many times before, that after... The win, wins happen. I know my LinkedIn feed's going to be flooded by the hashtag humbled, hashtag teamwork, hashtag can't believe it, hashtag blessed, you know, but, you know, good, good on you if it helps, you know, um, absolutely um, publicise it and um, toot your own horn and whatnot. But on social media, do you have to be very good at social media in the current era of law to be successful like yourself, Hannah? Look, I think it does require you to be savvy around um, social media. Um, I don't. I think we're gone of the days where social media is a dangerous place to play um, for lawyers. I mean, there was certainly a lot of um, rules. I still remember a social media policy. Um, oh my one, goodness! One law firm many many years ago saying, under no circumstances must you um, post anything on there. Um, but I think we're gone of of that era. There's now different types of policies in place around what you need to, you know, the rules and requirements of your workplace. Um, but I do think you need to have a proficiency and a presence there, um, certainly in the professions. Um, I think there is a difference between valuable content and invaluable content. Um, and I don't know whether I'm necessarily the font of um, or, you know, the source of um, deciding that myself. Um, I think I'm still figuring that out as we probably all are. Um, however, I do think for the network arrangements like LinkedIn, for example, which is definitely set up as a 
a professional um, networking site, that the tone of the content on there should be professional in nature um, and it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't probably be um, you know what I what I drank you know for breakfast in my smoothie or um, <laughs> you know um, a weird missive about what someone said to me in the courtroom like I, I think there's a time and a place for that but I'm not sure whether LinkedIn is the is the forum for that might be good on Facebook might be good on a TikTok um, you know, or Instagram, but I'm not sure LinkedIn's the forum for that. So, yeah. No, think- fair, fair enough. <laughs> What's your favourite platform that you're using at the moment? Um, I use LinkedIn and also Instagram. So um, most of that content mirrors each other, but it receives traction from different audiences. Um, yeah, I think LinkedIn's quite useful, particularly for sharing information around recent cases and developments in the space. No, I think that's good. And what you were saying about the uh, disclaimer about lawyers, I know David Gale, shout, shout out to David Gale, Life of David Gale, it's a movie as well. Um, I saw a recent TikTok he did and I think it went to LinkedIn and Instagram. He said, this advice is general in nature and please, you, you can only take it if you engage me as your lawyer. So obviously people are taking what you say and, and using it, so you have to be careful. So first time I've seen a disclaimer like that online, but I thought it was quite poignant that I, I did yeah. see it because obviously what you do is quite bespoke and it's not like a doc, it's like Dr. Google. People say, oh, I've got an ulcer on my arm. What do I do? Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess you do have to be very careful that people don't take what you say as gospel and then go down the street and, and implement what you're saying. I think that's very, very true, Cullen, and particularly for lawyers out there. Um, beyond creating potentially ramifications for the employer who employs you to provide legal services um, and also provides, you know, obtains insurance for you, um, it should always be based on um, either published content that the organisation itself has approved um, or, secondly, um, it is merely reporting what what a court has said and refrains from providing an opinion um, because otherwise you can end up in a sticky situation. (laughs) It's a good point. It's a good point. And this new um, app platform, Be Real, are you on it? What are your thoughts on it where it takes a photo of you and the surroundings in the moment and it's meant to be real, unfiltered? What do you think about this new platform that seems to be sweeping the nation? This is like the the photograph in the moment. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yes. I, feel, I feel like being real and being authentic is something that we should just always be. Um, and um, I might not be the type of lawyer for everyone, um, and and you might not be the 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 only mortgage broker that someone wants to no. see. Um, but I think we just need to be real and authentic in who we are and how we deliver our services and, and we'll gel with the people um, that gel with that authenticity. I think if you stray too far from, like, trying to prove that you're a real person, um, I mean, we're all real people, um, but people can s- sniff out the lack of authenticity. Um, no, exactly. While off if you're like, oh, I'm just on my morning run, but really I've just broken to a job because I don't ever run, but it looks like I've been, <laughs> exactly. like I'm being fit this morning and I'm an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> Get the active wear on, absolutely. And, um, guys, we've got two questions to go for the official stream. So if you've got any questions, please put them in the comments for Hannah. Uh, we'd love to answer them live in real time. I can tell you it is 11.38, so if you're watching this, it is happening now, so please, it's not a recording. Um, imposter syndrome, Hannah. Talked about it with Pepe, Nicole Davidson and James Dapache. What are your thoughts on imposter syndrome in the modern, um, do we need to fake it till we make it anymore? 
Is that an old uh, sort of uh, paradigm? Well, I, I think it. I think it's still a real thing. I think particularly women suffer from this perhaps a little bit more than men, um, and I mean that's a, a societal construct. I think in many respects, um, I do think you need to fake it till you make it. Um, um, but doing so with authenticity and um, with street cred behind you. So not stepping outside your lane. If you're going to be an insolvency lawyer, commit to being an insolvency lawyer and don't pretend to be the jack of all trades. Um, but when it suits you, call yourself an insolvency lawyer. Uh, like commit to that, um, engage in your associations, um, try and um, build a network in that space um, and don't try and spread yourself too thin. And I think if you do that diligently, developing content in the market, etc., um, in that space, then you, then the rest will follow and the imposter syndrome probably dilutes over time um, because um, you must end up with a level of confidence with your capability when you end up getting the airtime from clients. Clients trust you with providing them their work to you. Um, other people will recommend you to other clients um, and the like. So imposter syndrome I think is something that still is relevant but does dilute over time, but you have to be authentic. I, I love that. The authenticity is key. I remember being at Macquarie and there was, um, they were, I was in the room when they were updating the way they advertise their jobs because what they were finding is they get a lot of male candidates because they put a list of things that you need for the job and males because they had to take a man's look is go, I got that one, don't have that one, don't have that one, don't have that one, got that one, and then they apply. Um, but they were saying that females tend to do this, not, not a, maybe a generalisation, but that if they don't have something, they might discount themselves. What would you say to people that don't necessarily have all the specifications of a given job? Would you still say have a go and apply and, you know, back yourself that you will learn? Yeah, I agree. I think um, I agree with your observation. Women do tend to be look at something literally and say, well, I don't have those requirements, so I can't apply because I don't. Men will are a bit more ballsy in many respects and go, oh, yeah, I'll have a go. Look, I think to some extent women need to sort of adopt the have a go but be honest and transparent. I don't think you should ever bluff your way around it. I think I, I've gone um, in earlier in my career, probably now eight or ten years ago now, but I have been um, forward for jobs um, in respect of um, uh a certain area of practice and applied because I liked the firm and I liked the partner that I was interviewing for. And when I was asked whether I had experience or expertise in certain areas, I just frankly said, look, I don't, but I'm keen to learn. And I and I think if you are authentic and express a willingness to learn, most people will teach you that and uh, well, most people worth working for will be prepared to invest in someone with the right attitude who has a can-do um, approach to solving problems um, and he's just a good human generally. Like it'll trump, it'll trump the day at any time on a candidate. So lawyers are human. Is that what you're saying, Hannah? Most of us are. <laughs> most we, most, of we, us mostly, are. we mostly are. No, we are all, all human, just varying degrees of EQ. And maybe IQ. <laughs> EQ yeah. and IQ, let's put that in. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Uh, don't sell the steak, sell the sizzle. Very good. Um, a great question for anyone watching that is, it is we are hiring, there's recruitment going on. I use this question quite often is, would you like to be part of the A team or captain of the B team? 
the response is always interesting. Yeah, there you go. So that's a freebie for everyone watching. And I guess the final question before we get into our bonuses afterwards there, uh, Hannah, is when all is said and done in Hannah Griffith's life, how would you like to be remembered one day? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I I think I'd like to be remembered for mentoring junior members of the profession, um, particularly women. And, and also just helping solve difficult legal problems for clients. P- probably quite simple. Um, but, yeah, those are the, probably the two that I'd like to be remembered for. Fantastic. And you're already doing that and you're a shining star. And thank you for being part of the, I guess, official part of our live. We'll bring you back in a moment. And thank you so much for your time there, Hannah. It's been fantastic. You're welcome, Colin. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And uh, for everyone watching, we will come with some bonus questions for those premium subscribers on the podcast, but you can get us Wednesdays every Wednesday and um, we'll upload it to where you get your podcast as well. Thank you so much, everyone. (laughs) 